0: Welcome to Cats by 90, a podcast dedicated to you, the Big Blue Nation, basketball, football, and the latest recruiting news. If it's Kentucky sports, then it's here on Cats by 90. Now, from SB Nation, a sea of blue, your hosts, Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nation to see a blue. I am your host Aaron Gershon. No big blue drew drew Brown this week giving him another week to spend with the family and we'll have a uh, Kentucky dad podcast with him and I believe Nick Roush of KSR later on this week. But I am not alone this time. I have a good friend of mine, a Kentucky fan who has an interesting story of becoming a Kentucky fan, grew up in Maryland. Uh, Him and I interned together last season, last summer, rather, with a collegiate summer league baseball team down in Maryland, and his name is Aiden, if I box your last name, buddy, I'm sorry, LeCourrier, one of the few guys taller than me that I know. Uh, fan, how you doing, man? Dude,
1: I am holding up. I'm excited to do this. There have uh, only been so many things I've done to occupy
0: myself during this uh, quarantine, so I'm looking forward to this and you said so what you go to St. Joseph's in Philly so what I would did. everything shut down there were you kind of expecting it at that point or did it all hit like a wrecking ball I mean you just saw
1: the dominoes were beginning to fall with the bigger
0: universities uh
1: like closing down I mean you were texting me how oh Kentucky we're, we're done for the semester so just a matter of time our uh, our school had originally said oh we may come back in April but by mid-March, you knew that that was toast. So you kind of saw coming uh, an unfortunate end to the semester. But I mean, let's hope that next semester works out. Uh, eh, Most schools, at least that I have seen are planning on returning. So we can hope.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that you're going to be in a test run almost with the summer class. So hopefully that goes well out there. And I know here in Lexington, we're supposed to be back boots on the ground august 17th which is crazy approaching fast and football not far after it so hopefully we get all that in but before mm-hmm. we start what i'll share the topic with the listeners in a minute i just want to get your story on how you became a uk fan because for listeners that are not familiar with you you grew up in maryland um you and i like i said worked together out in bethesda maryland lasted last uh summer you're almost all dc sports fans except you and i share the new york yankee fandom together yep. but where did uk come for you just And I don't think, if I'm right, you have any family ties to the university either. No, it is the
1: most simplistic but strange story. (laughs) Um, I must have been four or five and always been just like a sports nut. And we're just ESPN would be on constantly whenever games would be on CBS, Fox, whatever it was. And for some reason, I would say four or five-year-old me decided to root for the blue team because that was my favorite color. (laughs) And a Kentucky game must have been on when I was four. And it just stuck. So then it was when you're like, whatever, eight, nine, eight. And what do you want for uh, Christmas? What do you want for a birthday? It was, oh, I'll take Kentucky gear. And then it just kind of grew from there. And a, uh, a diehard fan ever since of all sports. Um, it's kind. It was unfortunate because it's especially after Cal came, it was, oh, you're a bandwagon. How are you a Kentucky fan? But I had to explain. I had to deal with my my first real years being a Kentucky basketball fan, so if we were the Billy Joel years, right. so uh, I, I, people wanted to that they were not good. No, they were not. But we stuck with it, um, and it's just been my it, like that is my team above all. Um, and then, of course, college came. Had to make the best decision for my future and financially. So Saint Joseph's was the choice up in Philly, but we rock Kentucky year pretty much, I would say five out of seven days on campus. Those games are take precedent well over any SJU sporting event. All my, my, uh, my housemates, my roommates, they all, they all know, leave me alone during Kentucky games. So Kentucky, uh, Kentucky fan for life. Uh, But yeah.
0: Yeah. And for the color blue. Right. And for listeners who still, if anyone thinks you're a bandwagon, I'm pretty sure you're, I don't know if it's the same level, but you're huge on Kentucky football as well. And then we all know up until a couple of years ago when Mark Stoops started turning it around it, you don't pick Kentucky if you want to be a bandwagon. Absolutely not. Being a Kentucky
1: football fan has probably been, the, I mean, the last two years have just specifically have just been unreal. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, this, the the start of the Stoops era, two wins. I mean, sitting right. through that, it, it, like a 14-year-old me was just kind of like, you know what, I, We we we'll choose – We'll choose to go to the basketball tournament to play (laughs) than than, than watch the Kentucky game. But, yeah, I mean, walking into our internship on the first day, and I'm rocking Kentucky shirt, and I see Aaron is over here, and he's rocking it. I'm like, this is perfect. And that summer was just kind of nonstop Kentucky talk, Kentucky banter. That's right. uh, Every day, which was fantastic.
0: Absolutely. And, yeah, I was hoping to get to Maryland and visit y'all this summer, obviously. The virus had other plans, but we'll make it work as soon as we get back. But So the topic last, I believe, two weeks ago was the last Cats by 90 episode. I kind of went solo and did a top 10 list. We're going to keep the top 10 list going, but with a different um, topic. So I went over the top 10 games of the Mark Stoops era, uh, Kentucky football, and like we just mentioned. Uh, uh, most of them are from the last two years. There were a couple sprinkled in from the sixteen season and even – Uh, 2014 with the Bud Dupree pick six game, but you and I are going to focus on basketball. We're going to go through each of our individual lists. We'll just go 10 through one and each of us will give quick, you know, analysis of why our guy is there on the top 10 players of the Cal era. And I know that sounds like an, you know, a topic that everyone's done and written about and all that. But if you look at just the amazing amount of talent Cal's had just from guys who have been drafted and not even some of the guys who weren't necessarily NBA stars, but college stars. Uh, the, it's really hard to narrow it down to ten. And I know I've spent I, I, my list has actually changed based on just you know working here now for two and a half years covering the beat, and then you know being in Lexington for almost three and a half, four years total. Uh, my what my list has changed a lot, and I think now this is the top ten I'm most proud of. But I'll compare it with yours. And have, before we start, have you ever gone through it and put together a top ten list? It's not easy. It is not easy.
1: I, I mean, I'm sure, I don't think I've ever sat down, put the pen to paper and actually written down who I think my top 10 are, but you just go through, like my process was I went through each year, picked up the guys I thought would be eligible. And then you just, there's some names that get left off that are just like, wow. And it's, it's hard to also to separate. Like, I know you got some of the, like the personal connection to some players, but you, you can't weigh that as much when just looking at the totality of their accomplishments uh at Kentucky and I mean it was tough it was a brutal cut especially when I got down to like 12 13
0: people left yeah and I'll I'll just say this one right off the bat it's also hard because you want to so badly judge the guys based on what they're doing in the NBA mm-hmm. and oh absolutely and then you look at their college stats and you look at you know what they accomplished it, I, it's just hard to put them in that list and then you get killed for it but it's like you know we're talking about college not the NBA so really tough I I like i said i definitely it took me for just this list and i've probably put them together before um but this one took me a good hour to narrow down and i'm sure that i'll look at it and say man i could have gone there but we'll stick with it and we'll start with you aiden with your 10th best player of the calipari era which of course started the 0910 season to now yeah
1: so my 10th uh, player is julius randall um I just always, when I look at Randall, I think when you think of that, that team, I feel as though the 2014 team, it was, you always think of the uh, Aaron Harrison shots. That's, that is the image of that team. When you go back and look at it, Randall was the force that propelled that team forward. Like he was the guy and he was dominant. And I was looking back and because I remember, I didn't remember the specific stats. I'm like, I just remember watching that tournament run. And again, the Harrison shots were the focal point of that. But Randall's run up until uh, that championship game, he had 19 and 15 against Kansas State, yep. 13 and 10 against Wichita, 15 and 12 against Louisville, 16 and 11 against Michigan, and then 16 and five against Wisconsin. Plus the LSU shot, 15 and 10, average a double-double for the season. I mean, he was just a monster. And I think he kind of gets lost uh, in the sea of that, the epic Harrison run but he was just a beast. I mean, we were giving to him every time on the block, especially down the stretch in that Michigan game. He kept us in games and kept that season afloat in a season that really did not go the way that uh, a lot of us fans anticipated.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, Julius Randle is on my list as well. I think he, like you said, the Harrison shot is just so, everyone goes back to that tournament run and they were an eight seed and they think about, you know, kind of being the underdog that season. And then of course the Harrison shots, but, I think that team doesn't even sniff maybe even the tournament uh without Julius Randle. So I absolutely agree with you there. But my number ten guy is a guy I almost want to put higher on this list. I feel like he gets slept on all the time. If Drew was with us, he'd be screaming that he should be higher than this. But Terrence Jones is number ten for me. Uh again, this is not a guy who did much in the NBA, but you look at his two years um with the Wildcats, his uh he let's see, uh, Lost the set I was looking for. Okay. Average 14 points per game, eight rebounds per game. Of course, you know, a glue guy for them for two final four runs and, you know, the national tournament run. And you look at what he did um, in the SEC tournament in 2012. He scores 15 against LSU in the first game, 15 against Florida. He Obviously, they lose the t- uh, final game to Vanderbilt, but he still scores 12. And then he starts the NCAA tournament with a 22-point game head. 12 point game against Indiana, 12 point game against Baylor, and then uh, the finals against Kansas. It was kind of a game where we all remember that as the Anthony Davis didn't have a shot, but, you know, everyone else found ways to score, and Anthony Davis just was a beast on the boards. Well, so was Terrence Jones. Seven rebounds on the boards, had nine points. So really just solid all around glue guy for two. Like I said, two. Uh, Final four teams, two-time All-SEC player and an SEC All-Freshman guy. Uh, For me, he's number 10. He could easily go higher, but there's just so much talent here that I couldn't go higher than 10. Yeah, I mean, there's going
1: to be one guy who I actually view as more underrated than Terrence Jones, and it's funny that I'm calling Terrence Jones the second most underrated player of the Cal era, and I don't even have him ranked in the top 10, but it's true. I mean, the kid was – I mean, he sacrificed statistics – um, especially in that 2012 run because the team was much more loaded. But I mean, you look at him in 2011, especially like that. Terrence Jones was for real, and uh, he definitely deserves more praise. I think for Kentucky fans,
0: no doubt about it, no doubt about it. And like I said, Drew, uh, who actually had a chance to talk with him out in uh, was it New York, who hosted the Champs Classic this year, uh, maybe his favorite Kentucky player in the last 20 years. But uh, we'll go to your number nine again. These are not easy. Yeah, I mean,
1: there is a stretch here where I think you can make a legitimate case, starting maybe from my fifth to my tenth that they're interchangeable. But number nine, I have Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what hurts that team, the Jamal Murray, and I'll get into another player later on my list, is the team's overall success certainly dampers it. But I always think of when I was going through this, you got to look at the statistics, their legacy there, and if they had any impact moments to kind of look at when I was going through my list. Jamal Murray had averaged 25-2 and two on the season on 45, 40, and 78 shooting. Was one of, if not, the best uh, scorers at Kentucky. Arguably, and this is maybe a hot take, maybe not, I'll get your opinion, part of the best backcourt of the Calipari era, oh, no the Douglas Murray backcourt. It just one more absurd to
0: me to be talking about them in that light, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and it's just that team was one – legitimate big away from, I think, being a legit Final Four team. I mean, Murray could score with the best of them. Um I think when I always think of Jamal Murray, I always think of the dunk against South Carolina, which is probably one of the nuttier games I've yeah. ever s- remember watching. Um Just like little things, the Blue Arrow celebration, that team, because that team was really not, I wouldn't call them a chore to watch, but just so many ups and downs, but he was just so consistent. and really came out of nowhere because with the reclass, and he wasn't getting as much buzz as a lot of, Calipari recruits do and he just elevated himself be one of the best scorers in college that year and one of the best guards in the Cal era which is I think is impressive and his in a way subconsciously his NBA career has I think elevated him even further on my rankings just because it's hard to dismiss that subconsciously but Jamal Murray comes in number nine on my list
0: yeah and I think like you made so many good points there and that team really what it came down to in my opinion, is some of the guys they recruited, such as Scalabrizzi, I'm pretty much calling out Scalabrizzi here. They, they were oh flying goodness. him so much. He, I mean, number two recruit, uh, five star guy. That was the yeah, piece great. they needed for that team, especially given the year before what you lost in the front court with Cat and um with Cat and Dakari and Willie Collie Stein. They needed him to come through, and he just did. It was that simple. I mean, what is
1: bothering to me when you go back and look at those recruiting rankings that year is some sites had Scal listed ahead of Ben Simmons, yes. which is really utterly absurd to go look back at it. Uh, just Scal, I think Calipari has admitted there was some misuse in his role of Scal, but it was just overall to not fit. I think the big thing that year, too, is I, I've seen a lot of reports. I don't think the coaches really expected Dakari Johnson to leave. And he would have really been that missing piece alongside Scal for that team,
0: which is so fresh because that team was really one piece away. Yeah, I totally agree. It was one piece away. And uh, obviously losing to Indiana early in the tournament makes it even more painful being a rival that obviously people can't stand around here. But uh, number nine for me, I feel like you could call him overrated and underrated at the same time. And that's Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Um, mm. you know, his numbers, uh, 11.9 per game, 7.4 rebounds, or 6-7 forward. Uh, Really good. Uh, Doesn't sound like a star guy, but really good. The reason he's on the list for me is, like you said, the important thing to look at is what his college legacy was. Well, they don't win, even though they had Anthony Davis, who we all know will be very high, if not number one on both of our lists. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a glue guy that they would not have won without, but more so than Terrence Jones because he really was that second piece uh, to go and make that team what it was. Obviously, his first, I mean, he had a lot of great games early in the year. You look at some of the points he scored, but the one that stood out most, home uh, regular season game against Louisville, scoring 24, grabbing 19 rebounds, uh, one of the better perform- individual single-game performances of the Cal era. Scores 24 against Indiana in the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. Puts up 11 in the finals game. And by the way, it's 24-10 and 10 in that uh, Sweet 16 victory. So really... Um, Stepped up his game when it matters most. You know, takes home SEC All-Defensive honors, SEC All-Freshman honors, NCAA All-Tournament honors. Uh, this is a guy who, like I said, you could think about him. Like Just those stats, you know, 12 points per game is solid, but it doesn't scream stardom, especially at Kentucky. But if we're talking legacy and what they did for Kentucky, the uh, U.K. doesn't win a 2012 National Championship without him. He put enough, his defense is really what was stood out most. Like I said, I gave you the rebound numbers and his height. He definitely out-rebounded the typical guy for his size. And, you know, there's no better legacy than leaving with a national championship, and that's exactly what he did. So he's number nine for me. I just can't put him, the numbers, for me, I don't like that it's all a numbers thing, but the numbers are what holds him from being higher on this list, but I can't leave him off. Yeah, I have Kid Gilchrist coming up soon on my list, but
1: I just want to highlight the point you made is Kentucky does not win the national championship without him. And glue guy I feel like is often used and it's not condescending in any way, but it, it's more reserved for a guy who isn't the stars. But Michael Kid Gilchrist was a star. He just happened to be on a team that was loaded. So statistically he's not going to jump off the page at you like, like Anthony Davis did. But I mean, just everything about him, especially defensively was a monster. His intensity of the breakfast club there was just so much about him that cultivated that culture that allowed that championship to happen and i'll get into one uh, a big moment in my kentucky fandom with michael kid kid
0: uh gilchrist down the line uh, i'm looking forward to hearing that and uh, with that we'll give you the floor for number eight uh number eight honestly a guy who i
1: wanted to rank higher but just uh some uh other t- uh, other players accomplishments that way malik monk okay yeah Malik Monk, I still say is the best scorer of the Calipari era. You think of the iconic moments that he had. The 47 points off the off the bat was just arguably one of the it's probably the craziest performance I've I've watched live. Just watch that game was back and forth, one of the best games I've ever seen, but he just could not miss. And then the more underrated moment that I always bring up is I don't know if you remember, his move against Ole Miss. Yes. Blowout game. Crosses over one, splits the defense going behind the back, gets flipped around, flips it up and in. Just the, the kid could score with the best of them. I, I was full. I fully thought Malik Monk was going to be a stud in this offensive driven NBA. Obviously, he hasn't hit there yet. But my thing with Malik Monk, SEC player of the year, best scorer, another, another backcourt that I think is in contention for the best backcourt of the Cal era. If not, it's at least top <laughs> of three, personally. And, I always talk about with Malik Monk. that's so frustrating for me is Malik Monk. I have as one of the biggest what if plays of the Cal era in terms. This is a whole other list. But oh yeah. If he who shall not be named shot doesn't go in, <laughs> and Kentucky holds on to win in overtime, we're talking about the absurdity of Malik Monk's shot in the in that elite game against elite eight game against North Carolina. And I think imagine Matt, let's just say alternate reality, we win in overtime. That Kentucky team, I think, wins the national championship, and Malik Monk is arguably a top-five player in the Cal So Malik Monk is my number eight. Yeah. I mean, just what Uh-huh, go ahead. I was just saying, when that season ended, I just remember thinking, I don't think I respected the greatness of that team. And not great, but in terms of the individual players, like the Fox, Bam, and especially Monk trio, I I don't think I realized how good they were.
0: And that's why I have him. I do have him higher on the list. I'll get to him. But I think that's that shot against, like you said, that shot against North Carolina, I think would have solidified it because everyone would remember it. But, I mean, that the game he had against North Carolina in the regular season, the 47-point game, probably the best single-game performance of the caller, I can't think of anything better. Yeah. And some of the shots, it was just absurd, the shots he would hit. And it is a what-if with that Elite Eight shot, but I can't hold that against him. It's not his fault. Uh, well, it, partly, no one got back on the floor, but we'll we'll stop talking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: cut that conversation off.
0: Yeah. So number eight for me is probably going to turn some heads here. Um, it was one that I, you know, I look, this is a guy who I personally love everything he stands for. I loved him as a player. Um, I love what he's doing now in the NBA. But you look at the numbers and you look at just, I know he was on a stacked team, but I just couldn't put them higher than eight given the amazing talent at, again, this is solely based on guys who played during uh, their college career. This is not, has any nothing to do with what they're doing in the NBA. But for me, number eight is Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, and that's, yeah, like I said, that's going to get some reaction. Obviously, first given all his accomplishments, all well-deserved SEC's freshman of the year in 2015, SEC all uh, first team SEC in 15. So those were his two, only two major awards um, and all all freshman honors, that is, all first team freshman SEC honors. But um, for me, I just look at his, you know, I like to go through game logs, right? I think that you look at, you know, you see on paper 10, again, part of this is because he was on that godly 2014 15 roster. So 10.3 games, 6.7 rebounds, uh, just over one assist. Um, but you look at the game logs. And that's what I put the most, like I said, I put the most into seeing what he did in the biggest moments. Um, that's where for me he drops out against Louisville. He puts up ten in their regular season game. Um, he his best game. His best game would have been the Sweet Sixteen against Notre Dame from a points perspective, twenty five. Only grabbed five rebounds that game. But you just look at his overall body of work, game in and game out. And again, I totally understand the argument that he's not going to score as much because of that team but the rebound numbers weren't where i expected he only had about five or six games with double digit boards which is definitely if you look at just what nick richards did at the center position or or you look at the power forward position um even some fans around here consider him a little bit of a power forward just given how he scored last year but um the numbers aren't exactly what i was expecting and again that partly does have to do with what he worked with. But if we're talking about guys who stood out above the rest in, in their individual college careers, Cat's numbers don't match up with some of the guys that I'd put higher in the list. Uh, and I know that team, what they did in the regular season was no one's ever done before. Uh, they fall short in the final four. Uh, Cat in that game against Wisconsin, uh, did play well. I believe he scored 16. Yeah, 16, but he only had any, not, not only he has one block. Uh, Nine rebounds. So, and we all know that Comiskey played a little better than him that day. So, just for me, I love the guy to death. Uh, He's one of my favorites, one of my favorite guys. But I just can't, I can't put him higher than some of the other ones. And again, I'm not doing it based on numbers. Even accomplishments, accomplishments aren't the same as what some of the other guys on this list did. So, I got to keep him at number eight.
1: All right. I'll offer some... uh a differing opinion down the line, but I'm going to move on to my number seven real quick. I got uh, I, I got Brandon Knight. Um, okay. And I had Brandon, a Knight, Brandon Knight, when we talk, I think is the most underrated player of, of the Cal era, and I think it mainly is due to the way his NBA career went, and especially the way the Anthony Davis team uh, followed down. him. But when you look at what well, Brandon Knight did at Kentucky, I mean 17 4 and 4 for the season. Two two legendary moments really in yeah. the in the tournament. The, obviously the Princeton shot isn't I want to make it call legendary, but the Ohio State shot for sure was was a legendary moment, especially after a rough game. Um he people forget he led that team farther than the Wall Boogie Bledsoe team. He yes. he made he was the first final four of the Cal era. He, top ten recruit, met expectations Leading a fi- My big thing is that team really had no business making a Final Four, and Brandon Knight was a key reason why they made one. And my bi- Brandon Knight is on this list. I'm going to bring it up now twice, but the what if. Brandon Knight against UConn, Just is solely looking at numbers, 17, 8, and 5. Okay, solid game. But total went 6 for 23 from the field. And you sometimes wonder if a couple of those shots go in, that Kentucky team beats Butler, especially if Butler plays the way they did. His legacy changes. But I think I could even put him higher, but Brandon Knight deserves, deserves more respect. I think that team just kind of doesn't – other than the Ohio State shot, it kind of gets lost in the mix. But Brandon Knight was like that, and people forget that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think he is horribly underlooked because of that. night Knight 2011 team, like you said, uh didn't necessarily have any business because look at what all you need to do is turn and look at the roster from the year before and say, look at all they lost and look at what they brought back in comparison. And you could say that Brandon Knight, what he did leading that team down the stretch uh, puts them on this list. And I I completely, I didn't have him on mine. I definitely, he was a guy, like I said, there were so many in that, you know, even 11 to 15 range you want to throw on there, but couldn't and he was probably number 11 for me, and I went with Terrence Jones instead. Mm-hmm. But totally fair, uh, agree with all of it, that 2011 team. So underrated in a few. I think they're overlooked partly because of what they were the year before with you know Boogie Wall, like you mentioned, and then the year after they won it all. Yeah. So they're kind of snapped in that two really elite teams, one that didn't finish the job like many thought they would, and one that did. Um, mm-hmm. So number seven is a guy that you have mentioned already. That is Jamal Murray. Uh, again, that 2016 team in the backcourt they had with him and Uless, Um, Like I said, I've said for me, the key was Scal just not panning out, but you know, anytime you average 20 points per game at Kentucky, you're pretty special. And that's what Jamal Dur- Murray did shot over 40% from three point land. Uh, first team, all sec, freshman, all sec, third team, all American. I mean, Outside of Malik Monk, I don't think there's a better shooter in the Cal era. Just pure, you know, you know what's going in when he's putting it up. You have confidence mm-hmm. almost any shooting. And really from anywhere, the guy can shoot just the lights out of the basket. And I think that guy, he's definitely higher up if he could, you know, kind of push that team into the second weekend, get them into that Sweet 16. But obviously couldn't do it. I think that's the one hiccup on him. As you mentioned, that team just not being the greatest. But you can't you can't deny a guy who put up 20 and 5 every night um and really willed a team that had no business even getting <laughs> i mean they got a four seed in that tournament i mean yeah, uh, it, was, it was the fighting Jamal Murray and Tyler ulysses that year it was the fighting yeah exactly they had no help in the front court uh and it just it was i, I wouldn't say it's it, it's up there if you want to rank the worst teams in cal history i wouldn't say it's the worst. You gotta obviously go with the team that didn't make the tournament, but they're they're probably in the bottom three, which bottom is not which is sure. a lot. Bottom three, which is saying a lot given all the talent that Cal's had, but uh he's number seven for me.
1: Uh my number six, uh guy you've already mentioned Michael Kid Girl, Chris. And yep. I think we've you mentioned it perfectly everything matter of the, the defense, the the culture that he helped create, um, the kind of glue guy he was. We don't win a championship that we've already listed all that. So I'm just gonna say I don't think I have ever been more scared during a game than that national championship within the first two minutes when Michael Kigurkis went down hard and was like on the ground in pain. I don't know if you remember, he got fast break, got taken down. Yep. Dude. When he got up and he was still shaking, I was, 12-year-old me was freaking out. Like, yeah, I just could not process I, because it looked bad. So, and that's how you know his importance. It wasn't just, okay, we can with a great team like that, someone goes in I think we can sit with Michael Kigurquiz. I knew if he was done for that game, I thought, I, I don't know if we're the favorite anymore, but he that, it just shows he was a, when I put a word when I described Michael Kigur, he was just a grinder and a dog. and I think that's just a perfect way to summarize mm-hmm. him. won the ship that deserves uh, a bump on my ranking team the, uh, the statistics don't show it. I think obviously right. the numbers do lie sometimes and you have to look at them as a scope. Just as a player, Michael Kid Gilchrist was up there for sure in the all time Cal I
0: mean, all you need to know is he had Anthony Davis. <laughs> and you take Anthony Davis off the team no, they're not winning a shit, but yeah. I guarantee the Kid Gilchrist numbers are way up.
1: I mean, yeah, for and,
0: sure. Uh, they don't do justice like I mean, you
1: mentioned. I mean, obviously so, you won't look at his NBA career. There's a reason he went second in the draft.
0: Exactly, exactly, and obviously Kentucky goes 1-2 that year. Uh, I don't know if that's been done before other than that. I'd have I don't to think it I don't think so either. Uh, number six for me is also a guy that you've mentioned earlier, and that is Julius Randle. Uh, I think he's the – I wouldn't say he's the most underrated because, like you said, the Brandon Knights and Terrence Jones deserve that. But he's just so – he gets glanced over so much because the perfect point you brought up, it's all about the Aaron Harrison magic and those three-point mm-hmm. shots he had at the end you look at how many times the dude scored. He started the year scoring 23, 22, and 27. He puts up, let's see, puts up 29, uh, in a regular season game against Belmont, scores 17 in the regular season game with Louisville, uh, 20, 18, 14. I mean, you know, as we go get, you know, basketball every day seems to be more guard oriented. And this is a big guy scoring in double figure in really 20 plus almost every game in the tournament we know what he did in the tournament. You go let's see. NCAA tournament that year Kansas State game 19 and 15, Wichita State game 13 and 10, Louisville sweet 16 15 and 12, 16-11 against Michigan, 16-5 and five against Wisconsin and then obviously the Yukon game yeah. held the 6-6 six and, six. and that was really it was just a bad game all around for Kentucky but Julius Randle that was the catalyst of that team and Aaron Harrison was clutch and he deserves all the credit in the world for hitting every single shot that he did. And I get why he's the focus of all the highlight videos from that year. But first-team All-SEC, SEC Rookie of the Year, and a third-team All-American. Uh, Harrison's not on those lists. Julius Randle is. And that's for a good reason. And he is overlooked. He's not underrated, I'd say. But he's way overlooked and disrespected because of just – I mean, that's a good problem to have, I guess, if you're overlooked because of clutch shooting from another teammate. And that team had no real business – even like we've mentioned, no real business getting to the national championship game against UConn that year, what they did and largely because of Julius Randle.
1: I mean, I think real, you said it yeah, go ahead. was my fault. Was the, the the real quick, the Aaron Harrison shots don't happen if Julius Randle doesn't just dominate that uh specifically those three games.
0: hundred percent. We're gonna pause for a quick sponsor break and we'll be right back on the Cats by Ninety podcast. All right. And we're back. We're halfway through each of our top 10 lists of Kentucky, the Kentucky basketball players in the Cal era. And again, just to reinforce, um, only based on what they did in college has nothing to do with their NBA careers. So. A lot of you could do it a lot differently if it was based on that, but we're sticking mainly to college and we're halfway through, as I mentioned, and Aiden with me is going to give his number five.
1: Uh, my number five, a guy I will forever stand, uh, my personal favorite Kentucky basketball player of all time, Tyler Ulis. Um, <laughs> I will forever go to war for Tyler Ulis, and I, I do think a lot of Kentucky fans give him his fair share of credit. The, my personal opinion, the second-best point guard of the Cal era, uh, especially his sophomore season, put up 17-7 and seven on a 48-34-87 shooting. All-American, SEC player of the year, SEC defensive player of the year. Only one other player in league history has won the player of the year and defensive player of the year and that was Anthony Davis. Um, One of the smartest smartest point guards I've seen play. We already mentioned how um, that Murray-Ulis backcourt is arguably the greatest backcourt of the Cal era and also unfortunately the NCAA tournament didn't work, work out for reasons that we have mentioned multiple times already but when you think about that team and Tyus, I think of that SEC tournament where he put up twenty-four and five, and just especially specifically the Texas a And M game where he had Dickie V going nuts, but just a guy, especially defensively, was just for a guy his size, was just an unreal defender. Again, I mentioned the IQ off the charts, and I mean, it, you could argue he should have been on the floor a lot more in that Wisconsin game, but that Euless season was he made him and Murray made that team go and I haven't seen a point guard better than him since, and I will forever go to war for Tyler Uless. I stand by that, but, yeah, he's my number five.
0: Yeah, definitely, I think a guy that, over time, uh, Kentucky fans have realized more and more just how special and one of a kind he was. Uh, Again, not a guy whose NBA career has panned out, but a guy at college who just... As good as it gets from the point guard position, especially on the defensive end. But I have to disagree with the second-best point guard in uh, Kentucky history – or in the Cal Air in Kentucky because my number five is who I believe is that guy, and that is De'Aaron Fox. Mm. Uh, no – I mean, can you think of a faster guy in the Cal Air? I don't think there's anyone I mean, that the even – The only
1: guy who touches him maybe is John Wall, if that.
0: Yeah. I don't... And that's a huge compliment to De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, that... I mean –
1: Yeah, John Wall and Darren Fox, I would pay to watch that race and both of them in their prime.
0: Oh, man. But the thing that stands out for me, we're talking rising to the occasion and, you know, being a leader for winning teams. And Obviously, you know that Fox is going to have all the individual awards, first team all-SEC, all-freshman team, SEC tournament MVP, and that's where I'm getting into. His postseason, both the conference tournament And NCAA tournament, ridiculous, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He goes twenty. So we'll say points, and let's see what his second best stat was. Mainly assists. So he goes twenty and three against Georgia, twenty eight and two against Alabama, puts up eighteen against Arkansas in the SEC championship game. Then we get to the NCAA tournament, nineteen against Northern Kentucky with three assists, fourteen against Wichita State in that nail biter. And then we all know what he did against Lonzo Ball in UCLA. Kentucky loses uh, t- in the CBS Sports Classic to UCLA at Rupp Arena while ranked number one. And what does the Aaron Fox do for revenge? Thirty-nine points, four assists, two steals. I mean, I'm not. I haven't even gotten into the, his ability to steal. That's why it was called Swiper for God's sakes. And then obviously, only just just thirteen in the last game against UNC. That was more Malik Monk's game. But he was just consistent throughout the season. Scoring, if you look at his game log, I can only find three game, four four games he didn't score in double figures. He's stealing at a high rate. He averaged, I believe, over two steals per game. If I have it right, I don't have the number in front of me, but sixteen point seven a game, four point six assists. Just consistent, night in and night out. That team, obviously one of the better ones that Cal has ever formed, uh, just you know, a crazy shot away from the final four. And they don't go, they don't, they don't sniff the elite eight. I know Malik Monk is an all-time great shooter, maybe the best shoot, probably the best shooter of the Cal era. Uh And that's why I have so much respect for him and he's coming up for me still. But De'Aaron Fox, I mean, how do you keep him off this list?
1: Here's my thing with De'Aaron Fox. And I will, he was in my, my, for sure my list, but, when I compare him to, let's say, let's I'm comparing him to Ulias, right? Who's better defender, Tyler Uless is. No my, the, the one knock on Fox that did hurt him in college was is strange inability to to shoot the the three ball throughout his time at Lexington because he had the stroke looked fine in high school was fine, but the the weakness in outside shooting ability uh, hurt Fox. There, Ulias was better. Passing IQ, I'm still taking Ulias. That's why I have him ahead, but I do think you're right. Both of them stepped up at big moments, but if you're going to take postseason accolades and accomplishments there and factor that in, then, yeah, I give that to Fox. But I think Uless, overall, as a player, was better um, at Kentucky. But, I mean, this is why it's great to be a Kentucky fan. This is what we're debating. (laughs) We're debating who's better between Tyler Uless and De'Aaron Fox and our uh, top 10 Cal players of all time, which is just the
0: most beautiful argument to be having. Exactly, and again, if this were for we're debating in the NBA, there's obviously no debate. But this is just college. Yeah. I could I will, really go I, either. way.
1: I would, could go either way, but I, I never, I will never uh, not live down that I had Darren Fox as my top point guard in that draft. Obviously,
0: now everyone, I'm oh. pretty sure, would be on that bandwagon. But, uh, but that so would have been so. Have... To, I mean, maybe he gets traded to the Pelicans in that deal uh, for Davis, but. How cool would it have been to see, I mean, I'm not a Laker fan, but yeah. how cool would it have De'Aaron Fox, you know, slinging it around to LeBron and AD? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the De'Aaron the Fox is like that. I mean, but,
1: yeah, I mean, it goes back to something I said earlier in the show. I, I do think I took for granted that team because that team was fun to watch. They the, That trio was, I mean, one of the, up there for best trios in the Cal Hour, and there's a lot of great trios there.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and with that, number
1: four. Yeah, so Carleton Towns is my number four, and I said I'd get back to you because I think you have to disregard numbers entirely. I know you were talking a lot about the statistics with Carleton Towns, right? You had to watch him to realize just how good he was because that team, I don't think statistics do anyone on that team, maybe except Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, Justice, right? Because everyone on that team I, I would be averaging way more on any different team. Carleton Towns grew throughout the season. But yes. really come March especially was dominant. You brought up the Notre Dame game. Wisconsin game. Kaminsky only outplayed him as you mentioned in the stretch, because we stopped feeding him the ball. It was a strange we stopped Carnete Towns was dominating a majority of the game and we stopped feeding him the ball. Right? So Carnesty Towns all SEC. Ten and six, right? In just twenty one minutes a game. Coral averaged about six to seven field goal attempts a game. It's just absurd. Yeah that good of a player was statistically was just putting up such small numbers, but it was just how good that team was. It 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 just the team was so full of talent that the number four player on my all time uh Cal players list, it was averaging ten and six. So I don't think numbers do him justice. I think he was you look at he was a number one pick for a reason because his skill set was Unreal offensively, especially and defensively. Obviously, in the NBA, that story has changed a bit, and it helped the system uh, he was in at Kentucky and paired with Willie Coley's time. But defensively, Kornelty towns was not too shabby at Kentucky either. So he is my number four uh, player, just because the talent level and the the
0: stretches of domination that we saw in limited minutes. And there's no doubt. And I think you know I've also what I've kind of tried to look at here is whole picture since it's such a stacked list and you don't want to disrespect anybody on it. I'm looking at a full picture of even, for me, the Cats' slow start hurt him a little bit just because of some of the other guys, like I just mentioned. De'Aaron Fox and Julius Randle start hot out of the gate and stayed hot. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the reason for me, too. And like I've said, I respect him as much as any player that's ever put on this UK uniform. And I haven't gotten a chance to interview or meet him yet, but I know Dick Gabriel, who I work with at Big Blue Insider, they've had him live in person and... They everything they say. I, I haven't heard one bad word about Carl Anthony Towns. I just the I think this list is so tough that you look at every number so closely and you look at the accolades and they're just guys who have a little bit more. And that's my only argument. Mm-hmm. It's not if you take, you know, November, December out of the equation, he's top four, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh So my number four is a guy you mentioned a little lower and a guy that a lot of people have lower than I do. But that's Malik Monk. Uh, best shooter in the Cal era. Uh, I don't think, no I know that, no doubt. I know that his, you know, his three-point percentage was 39.7. Murray's is higher, but the free-throw percentage is way higher. His field goal percentage is higher, um, average 19.8. And, again, you look at some of the crazy games he had are really just the crazy game he had against the 49, uh, excuse me, 47 points in the regular season in the CBS Classic against UNC. Again, a guy who started hot out of the gate, started the year with 10, 16, 23, 14. Um, really, and he had some big assist games too. Uh He had 26 points on UT Martin with seven assists. Um And then you look at the accolades he won, and we'll get to his postseason play in a minute. Uh, not just, he didn't just win your, you know, your SEC first team, blah, blah, blah. He's the SEC player of the year as a freshman. He's the SEC freshman of the year. SEC, all SEC. Uh, first team all SEC. He's a second team consensus All-American and the biggest award of them all, in my opinion, the Jerry uh, West award for the best shooting guard in the country. And if you look at some of the guys who it's a short list because it's a fairly new award, but the guys he has with him in that uh, kind of that fraternity, you could say D'Angelo Russell, Buddy Heald, Carson Edwards, R.J. Barrett, Miles Powell. So pretty good group there. And I'd argue look at the numbers for each individual season. Other than D'Lo, I, I think Monk had the second-best college career of any of those guys. And same with Miles Powell, but he's a four-year guy. But uh just the year that Malik Monk had from top to finish, all the accolades he won, and then the postseason, we all know what he did with that shot against UNC. He didn't even have the best game that day, but he came up in the clutch moment there with a big shot. And, you know, that UNC game in the regular season, what I think it gets overlooked most is the rest of the team did not play very well that day. Mm-hmm. And, he had basically almost half of our points. Right, he had forty-seven out of a hundred yeah. and three. and because Kentucky's defense was non-existent, if you're giving up a hundred points in a regular in a non- overtime college game, there's a problem. And they did, but Malik Monk just had an answer for every UNC counterpunch. Obviously, that UNC team went on to win it all, so we all know how good they were, and that Monk was able to do that against the best team in the country, and. He had other games where he was well over 30. I mean, just a monster, just killer. Like you said, he's he's just, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a dog. I mean, when you need a big shot, he was money every time. I remember that overtime game against Georgia. He had a big shot in overtime. They were struggling at home. Anytime you needed Malik Monk to step up for a big shot, he was there, and that's why he's where he is for me.
1: I think the the Malik Monk experience was one of the more funky Kentucky players. Because it's not just the shooting ability, just watch the in contortion the in the air. I mean, just his leaping ability. Just Some of the dunks he put on are just absurd. Oh the, the, oh, yeah. the, that backcourt is no doubt the most athletic backcourt of the Cal era. The the Fox Monk.
0: You could argue it's one of the most athletic backcourts in college basketball history. You yeah, really that,
1: that team was nuts. That team. Is, this podcast has made me realize that that team was just so fun. And I, I, I really, I, I was, I mean, I remember crying when they lost, but I
0: miss that oh. team.
1: That team was so fun.
0: The crazy thing about that team, it, to me, what would have changed everything is if we got the BAM in a bio that is lighting up the NBA right now. Yeah, because BAM it, was up and down that year. Yeah, and it, I, remember I was shocked when he was a lottery pick. I didn't understand it. I actually made an argument he should come back to school. Obviously, you proved us all wrong, and I'm so glad because he's such a good dude. But uh, if they had the BAM in a bio or even anything close to the BAM in a bio that we saw in the NBA this year, oh, my God.
1: Yeah, the BAM at Kentucky is one of the more interesting case studies of the Ooh. last couple of years because you look at his high school tape, and he wasn't nearly as refined of a ball handler as he is now. and uh, But he was doing that in high school. Yes. And the interview came out about him and his mom. And in the interview, there's like how Cal was like, OK, you come here. You're going to you're going to just get every rebound and you're going to be a pick and roll and lob player. And he was like, sign me up. So there was no issue with him there. But Cal didn't try to necessarily not take advantage, but utilize some of those ball handling uh, traits. But that'd be, that's just Cal's
0: system. His, his bigs don't do that. But it's yeah, really that to see. shooters he had. I mean, even Derek Willis as a shooter on that team. Michael Mulder off the bench. He had so many shooters on that team. It was hard to give him offense.
1: Yeah, I think. It, I mean, you want the ball really in Monk and Fox's hands that year. So I don't blame Cal in any respect. I think he a role, But it is interesting to see the unlocked potential mm-hmm. that Bam had on that team. That just makes you sometimes wonder.
0: But it, 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 it just speaks of how good Kentucky alum and. Mm-hmm. uh, Hall of Famer, Pat Riley is I mean, he knows he knows basketball better than any of us, that's for sure. Uh number three What's that? I was just
1: gonna say one more thing about that team was that team was one of the rare teams where I generally thought they were gonna win every game. Like there was never Uh, a game I went into like, oh, I think we're we're going to lose. And I mean obviously they're gonna know Wall Davis. There's been a there's been a good amount, but that was one of the the last one where I was like, "I, I don't think we're ever gonna not be a favorite. That team was, like, yeah. the depth, too, was great.
0: The depth was great. And uh, so our top three, I'm guessing we're going to have the same three players. I'll make sure to see if it's in the same order. But I'll let you start. Number three.
1: I would assume, and this is where I get very by the book, I have DeMarcus Cousins, um, yep. man amongst boys, All-American, shot against Mississippi State. Again, I said that I wrote this down for Walt, too. He, he helped bring back Kentucky basketball. He landed that. Yep. But the biggest thing you always see with Boogie Cousins that is just absurd is, Boogie Cousins stays out of foul trouble, 25 and 16 per 40. I think that's enough said. Dude, he was just a beast. I know I've said that word. It is not a great uh, uh, analysis of a player, but Boogie Cousins was just a beast. And I think yeah. it goes for something that he and Wall together just elevated Kentucky to superstar and brought us back. And I think that means something. And, and, that team not making at least a Final Four still boggles my mind if we just had some shooting. But DeMarcus Cousins is a clear top three player on, I feel like, anyone's list. And uh, just, he was just a beast. I'm going to repeat it. He was a beast. No one could guard him.
0: Yeah, just really. And what really killed them was an off night. I mean, they had the shooting. They just put <laughs> a damn shot against West Virginia in that Elite Eight. And that was it. If they, I mean, they just couldn't get it to go when that happens. And unfortunately for that team, it happened at the worst possible time. And I agree. I, have, I think this is the first one we're exactly lined up on. I do have Boogie number three on my list here. Uh You said pretty much everything that needs to be said. I'll just say his numbers, which were nearly averaging a double-double at 15.1 and uh, 9.8, which you don't see many college guys anymore average a double-double. And I know he was two a rebound off, but still uh, essentially a double-double per game if you're rounding up. and you know, he was the one guy who actually had a decent game against West Virginia with 15-8. and eight. Uh Anytime you needed him, you mentioned sure the Mississippi State shot. That's probably his most memorable moment. But just a dog, just a guy who he knew from day one. Again, a guy like I put a lot of salt with this list into starting hot, and he did just that. He scored 27 by game three. I mean, just you always knew what you were getting with him, and it was never going to be bad. So he's... He's definitely number three for me, and at most universities nationwide he'd be number one, but uh, he's number three for me here. And uh, two and one, uh, we probably know the players, but we'll see how you order them. Number two, yeah. So number two, John Wall. Um, It's 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 basically the same
1: thing I'm going to say for Boogie. Brought back Kentucky basketball, elevated them to superstardom. I was doing the John Wall dance every day of fourth grade. That the, the absurdity that a college player had that type of draw. Still kind of boggles my mind because I didn't understand it back then. Best point guard of the Calera. He really was, I wrote down, he really was showtime. The UNC dunk, the uh, the game against Miami in the first game of the season. And kind of, I, I wanted to say one more thing about Boogie, but it applies to Wall too, is the personalities in a little counter, how memorable were they? And John Wall and Boogie together were some of the most memorable players based on the personality and how much excitement they brought. Um, but yeah, John Wall's a clear number two because... John Wall is more than just a basketball player to Kentucky. He was the start of the Cal era. He was the start of the Kentucky that we know now, and he's really the start of this kind of one-and-done era. So, John Wall is my number two, and I I don't think there's much more to say.
0: Right. So this one, I've I've had people tell me Wall and Davis. I've gone back and forth on it. I had Davis forever. Uh, I think that it's no doubt these are two, not only are they the two best players in the Cal era, they're probably... They're definitely top 10 in UK's program history. And I've mm-hmm. gone back and forth. I've looked at everything. But I have Anthony Davis number two. Um, and I know he won the national championship. And if you look at the accolades, by the way, uh, I don't have to repeat that. They're both almost all the same. They both were mm-hmm. national players of the year. They're both consensus first, all-Americans, all-SEC, all-freshmen, whatever. Every award that they pretty much, other than the national championship, which I understand is the thing that, kind of sways everyone to Davis. They pretty much won the same amount of awards individually. Mm-hmm. But why I got, I have Davis a little lower is simply because the pressure that was on, I I, I guess I'll get into John a second, but uh, it's not a knock on Davis. I think you could literally, you could pick either one and either one's a respectable choice at number one. It's more that we're just, again, I put a lot of salt into the, or a lot of baggage into the whole starting slow and all that. And, you look at, he came in, <laughs> his body transformation is incredible, but he came in and he really had some rough games early on. Uh, the Penn State game, he only scores three uh, and only grabs uh, five rebounds. He has a rough game against UNC early on in the year, only seven and eight. Uh, seven points, that is. I know eight rebounds pretty good, but he had his shooting. He had his chance. He didn't shoot well that game. A lot of games where the numbers are off, um, and I understand it's the thing is what you look for in those games is yeah points one thing, but did he rebound well? And he didn't rebound well in some of those games. So I love Anthony Davis and I think he's, if you, this were the NBA list, he's number one by about a million because I think he's the best center in the game. And I think he's top five player in the NBA. And that's look at, it tells you all you need to know that the Lakers went from a non-playoff team, <laughs> just LeBron to getting Anthony Davis, and they're the title favorites. But I know he wins the national championship. I just think I'll get into John Wall, and I'll explain more why he's number one. I think it's more not that Anthony Davis deserves to be number two or isn't as good as John Wall. It's just what John Wall did and what he had to overcome that I put him a little higher.
1: Interesting. There's really one thing that you could legitimately tell me that, uh, John Wall was better than Anthony Davis, and it was more of the overarching kind of theme of what John Wall represented and what John Wall, as you mentioned, had to overcome and uh, really prove to the country. But Anthony Davis is my number one. Anthony Davis is the best college basketball player of the last decade. I, I don't think it's close. The only one who even really came near that touching him, in my opinion, was Zion, and Zion they get the deal done, so he doesn't get it. Anthony Davis, I mean, we talked about Ulyss defensive player of the year in the SEC, uh, SEC player of the year. Naismith Award, he won every award imaginable. So it's not even, as you mentioned, a point listing them out because he won every single one. Number one recruit, proved that. Number one pick, proved that. Won the championship. And people, we love to talk about as Kentucky fans, six points, right, in that championship game, I have never seen someone impact a game more, scoring less than Anthony Davis did in that game. Kansas, every shot was smothered at the rim. It is absurd to think that a player just impacted a game so much, doing so little at the offensive end. Just when you put together the defense and offensive ability of Anthony Davis at Kentucky, it, it, it is by far and away the best player of the decade. It just He's, he's pr- the best defender in college basketball over that stretch, right? And offensively, no he put up multiple 20-point games. And again, it kind of goes back to what I mentioned with Cat. That team was also so loaded that of I think the offensive statistics, especially, can be misleading in some games because there really was not always a need. I also love bringing up. You see, is that team is one Christian Watford shot away from probably going forty and zero. Because then, if they're if they are undefeated, that's a, a lock a win against Vanderbilt. And I think oh, the man. SEC tournament. I mean, who knows how they deal with the pressure? But that Kentucky team led because of Anthony Davis, who's just head and shoulders above the rest. Um, Dude, and what's crazy to think about now is that's Anthony Davis pre any really existence of a three-point shot. Um, That's true. He he shot, I'm looking at his three-point stats for the season, he shot three for 20 on the season. Could you imagine if he had a three-point shot in his arsenal or Cal had let him kind of like we talked with Bam, use that ball handling? Geesh. Anthony Davis is my number one lock in
0: So, yeah, and that's how I felt for a long time and, I got to give Dick Gabriel kind of helped me change my mind on why I have wall. You asked me this in a year, I might change my answer, but right now John wall. And this was a, this part of it I came up with and thought about. So, you know, that's Cal's first year, obviously. And pretty much the expect, the expectations are through the freaking roof because you bring in the, you bring in the, the guy, the John Calipari, who, we all know what he did at UMass. We all know what he does at Memphis. He's coming off the year where probably should have won a national championship. They lose that game to Kansas in heartbreaking fashion. And John Wall is the piece that is just head and shoulders above the best high school recruit in the country, best player and him and Boogie, the best two. And I understand that he had Boogie's help and that's great and all. But John Wall, if that team fails, it falls, first of all, it falls on John Wall and the excitement, especially the pressure in Lexington is just you, you think about, I don't know how the best way to compare it is maybe the pressure playing for the New York Yankees or playing for the Green Bay Packers or the Pittsburgh Steelers, like the elite of the elite. The fans expect to win every single day. And if you fall short of that, you're killed. I mean, just look at we've seen it the last two years. The Kentucky basketball has gone off to slow starts the last two years. They're written off calling for Cal's head. They're saying, "Why the hell did you bring in uh, this kid over that kid?" It's you should have. How did you not get Zion and RJ, and how did you bring in this instead? Mm-hmm. Just a mess. And John Wall comes in with those expectations, and he lights it up from day one. I mean, like you said, the personality coming in with the John Wall dance on, you know, for Big Blue Madness. He starts off. He already, before he even touches the court, is a fan favorite and a <laughs> he's a nationwide icon. And he lights it up from day one. He's scoring his worst game in his first uh, two months of the season was a nine-point game. But you know what? He had 16 assists. I mean, the guy, just a monster, night in and night out, brought it every single game, except we all know what happened against West Virginia. And I think that's the reason that a lot of people go Anthony Davis is because he helped them. And, you know, even though he didn't score much that game, his his presence was unmatched. Mm He brought home a national championship to Lexington for the first time in over 10 years. But Wall won every single one of those awards except for the Naismith. He won every single one that Davis won. He was, like Davis, the number one overall pick based on what he did. And he just he made everyone around him so much better, John Wall did. And I know that he had boogie. But you look at some of the guys, remember the whole John Wall, his, what Cal said is bring those guys with you to the yeah. draft. Because not many people expected them. That team, you kind of knew that Kid Gilchrist and Davis were, they're were going to be first round picks. Terrence Jones came back for year two, had that potential. Fine. But Dave Wall brought the Patrick Peterson along. Patrick Peterson, if I have it right, was also on a uh, Billy Gillespie, right? He wasn't a one and done. No, no,
1: no. was uh, Billy Gillespie's really only a, like, star recruit that really panned out.
0: Right. And Wall made him so much better. You get five guys drafted in the first round that year, and that's because of how I just pointed out the assist numbers. John Wall made everyone around him better with more, and not to say Davis didn't have pressure, playing at Kentucky's pressure, but that team had a different type of pressure, being Cal's first team, and the expectations being through the roof, given what Cal did at every stop that didn't have the same resources as Kentucky. So John Wall, for me, just did so much more uh, with such a heavy load on his shoulders, um, I think that, up, I mean, Boogie, yes, is the big teammate. But other than that, you look at the 2012 roster, I'd say the 2012 roster is probably holistically better. So I got I have John Wall. You ask me that in the future, I might get convinced to change it. But I've done so much research on this one. It's so hard for me. Uh, but I, I have John Wall right. I think if you anybody does,
1: is a, a Kentucky fan and does this list, John Wall, Anthony Davis, in some order is going to be your one. Do I haven't seen a single... List on any form of uh, Kentucky fan side, whatever, where it hasn't been like that. Those are the two guys who I feel
0: like defined the Cal era. And the only way that changes is if Cal brings in somebody like BJ Boston this year, averages twenty-five and seven, and ends up winning it all. Maybe we're talking yeah. that, but <laughs> that's, we all know that in this day and age in college, but it's probably we're probably never going to see uh, those two guys again. I think maybe if Kentucky had gotten Zion. Last year, we might have been looking at that differently if he had the same production at Duke and then plus the wins. But it's all—it's virtually impossible uh, to get to where those two it's are. It's
1: interesting, like uh, you looking back on it. Both our list—the last three seasons—not a single guy has uh, really been right. uh, ele- like really even eligible for me. For the the only guy who I even I, really considered was maybe PJ Washington, and he was a quick uh, yeah. cut.
0: The guy for me was Shea. Yeah. The guy for me was Shea because he, just his whole story too. He wasn't expected to be. He was. He started the year on the bench, mm-hmm. and no one really. He didn't, didn't tell that expect Louisville to be a game, three to four year. Like coach. it was, right. But yeah, and his, you know, he was a clutch guy too. That team was not good. That team was really not that, that good. Short uh, I think Kevin. They just did. didn't fit together. That that whole yeah. team's pieces were oh, didn't fit. Oh. But I think that, yeah, I think that, Shea, that's a great point about the last three years. I think you've had some great players. I, like you said, PJ, uh, you could even argue Nick Richards just yeah. based on his transformation in the last season, uh, Tyler Hero, but none of them are good enough.
1: I, I don't think, I think obviously all those, the last three teams are all t- guys who like I'll always remember and love, but I don't think any, I mean, the 10 guys that we listed in our heads are kind of like that legend status. Like those are the guys who define color. And the last three seasons, I don't think there's really been a guy who I'm like, that guy was a Kentucky legend per se. I think they were all, had their big big storylines, big moments, and I'll remember them for different reasons. Like Richards and Quickly, it's for how they, from their jumps and how they developed into great players. And specifically Tyler Hero and P.J. Washington are just guys who, I mean, I love. Tyler Hero is one of my favorite players in Kentucky history, but wasn't maybe consistent enough, put it on late, as you said, and the Shea team, Shea's really the only guy he even gave a thought to from that team, but that team is just so oh, yeah. frustrating. Yeah. It's probably personal preference got in the way of that one because that team was
0: so frustrating. Yeah. Never happened. It just never happened. They had Knox, and remember, Knox wasn't even supposed to pick Kentucky. Uh, didn't work out. Might have even been better if he goes elsewhere. Uh, Shea was awesome. wasn't even expected to be awesome. Vanderbilt, if he God, if he was healthy, you don't know that could have changed. I mean, that's things. another
1: what if, Nick and if. we're talking about what if. Jared Vanderbilt is one of the biggest like injury, if not the biggest injury. What if of that that uh, Kentucky history?
0: <laughs> he gone when he was playing elite. Yeah. All right, we can go on this all day, but we're gonna wrap up the. 39th edition, I believe it is, of the Cats by 90 podcast. Aiden, thank you so much for joining us. And before I let you go, just tell the BBN how they can follow you on social and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, just
1: follow me on all platforms, uh, social, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, at Aiden LaCourie. Um, yeah, that's really what I'm prevalent on. Uh, I do a, lot of, do a lot of my social media work on Twitter, so that's
0: where I would recommend following. If, I'm pretty sure you're really good with graphics and edits, correct? Uh, yes, if that is what I have are...
1: been doing. Um, you can find that information, I'm pretty sure, on my Instagram. that I have links to all that stuff. And I do do a lot of graphic design uh, sports edits for uh, people for free because I just enjoy doing them, if, if any, any listener is interested in that.
0: There you go. Aiden, thank you so much. We'll have you on again. And uh, that concludes this one, I hope. You guys, listen, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh... thanks for listening. Make sure to follow Cats by ninety on Twitter at Cats by ninety. You can also follow Aaron and Drew at A Gershon ninety nine and at Big Blue Drew thirty three. And remember, no matter the opponent, it's always Cats by ninety.